Uh, Brother Wayne's on vacation, and so I'm pinch-hitting for him this morning. Aww. Yeah, I know. It's, it's just kind of like having the second string. I understand. Hey, um, where's Taylor Sutton? Where's Taylor? Taylor, have you got something for Brother John? What do you got there? Let me see. Cool. Look at what Taylor has here. It says one year. I'll hold it down like this so y'all can see it. One year in, in footprints. Handprints. Oh, handprints. I didn't read that carefully. <laughs> one year in handprints. Pre-K Sunday school at First Baptist Church. You know what it says? 2012 through 2013. Is Taylor, is this, has this been something you've been working on like all year? Cool. Oh, look, it's got a date. Last September. How about that? When she started? October? November. Let's see here. November? December. You think? Yeah, there's a December one. Look, it's kind of like... Um, exactly. That's exactly what it is. I was making sure y'all knew what it was. January. January. Yeah, what is that? It's a mitten. Very good. That means for love. That's the love. Okay. A bunny. A bunny made with a handprint. It's a flower made with your fingerprints, right? The tip of your fingers. A butterfly you turn made with. It the other way. And you turn it the other way. Exactly. That's right. What did she make there? Exactly. And what? I bet y'all don't know what this is. What is this? It's an American flag with her hands. Man, look at all these. Oh, look, look. Let's see what this says. These are words, not a handprint. Let's see what it says. Listen, everybody, listen. This is my hand. My hand will do. A thousand loving things for you. And you will remember when I am tall that once my hand was just this small. Can you believe, look at all those people out there. Can you believe their hand used to be the size of Taylor's? It used to be little. And they grew up and got all big and all, didn't they? All the teenagers out there are. And all the teenagers, look how big their hands are. The dolls. Do you know what? You know what's happened? Listen, listen, look, look. Their hands over the years have done a thousand things. Loving things for others. So look at your hands. Look at your hands. Everybody, look at your hands. Now, our hands, they can do some mean things and some bad things. But you know what our hands can do the most? They can bring love and show love and serve other people every day. Isn't that wonderful? Why don't we ask Jesus to use our hands like this beautiful little story shared. Why don't we ask Jesus to use our hands in an amazing way? Okay, let's pray.
Hold your hands out like this, okay? And we're going to talk to Jesus. Lord Jesus, repeat after me. Lord Jesus, I give you my hands. May they be used to show your love every day. And when I grow tall, may they be used by you to show your love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Listen, I'm so glad y'all came to Happy Club today. Now, you've got an option. If you would like to go with Miss Karen, we'll have Children's Church, and you can go with her, or you can return to sit with your mom and dad. And Brother Wayne will look forward to seeing y'all next week here, okay? All right. Way back there. You can go back there. Way back there in the other service. Oh, then you go right here. You go right here.
be leaving us uh, to go to Columbus State University tomorrow, and we'll be away for a while, but she'll be back, and we'll be looking forward to hearing her when she comes back again. Please stand as we sing, He Leadeth Me, O Blessed Thought. Thanks to the Lord. He is good. His faithful love endures forever. Pray with me. Lord, we are here this morning for one reason, and that's to worship you.
to give you thanks for all the good you do for us, for sending the Savior to save our sins, and for the so many other things you do for us out of love, because we know you love us. Father, as we continue this service today, and Brother John leads us, we pray that you will open our hearts and our minds so that we may realize your wonderful love and that we'll want to go share it each day with others in our community and around the world. Father, we know this isn't possible unless we give back to you a portion of what you give to us. And we ask this morning that you'll take this blessing that we offer you and use it in your kingdom. We ask in Christ's name. Amen.
I grew up in Albany, Georgia, watching Paul Dean lead the music, and, and um, now I'm getting to watch Gary Akins lead the music. So I always wanted to be a music leader. And um, so I'm going to get to do that this morning. One of the ways I need all y'all to pay attention, y'all are the choir, okay? Now, um, one of the ways we're going to do that this morning, a lot of times the way we express affirmation is through applause. We affirm people through applause. But this morning we're going to do it verbally by saying the words, thank you, okay? And we're saying it to the choir. Are you ready? You're going to have to follow my arm movements. You ready? Are you ready? That's pretty good. We need to enunciate a little more clearly. Isn't that what you'd say, Gary? Okay. Enunciate a little more clearly, a little more forte. That means forceful. Okay. You ready? Thank you. All right. Now we're going to say choir after that. You ready? One, two, three. Thank you, choir. Good job. I'm impressed. All right. Good. Good. We do appreciate those that are in the choir. Every time I hear them sing, I wish I could be a part of it. I do. I'm serious. It's just a joy. I can remember being a teenager and when Nancy and I were first married, uh, I had that opportunity to be involved in the choir. Miss it very much. Um, Open your copy of God's Word to John chapter 13. Uh, verses 34 through 35, and I promise I won't make you repeat like that throughout the sermon. Um, But uh, years ago, Nancy and I were uh, at First Baptist Church of Columbus, Georgia, served there as associate pastor for several years, and one of my areas of responsibility uh, was senior adults and um, particularly visiting our nursing homes. And one of the uh, nursing homes I visited very frequently, probably on a monthly basis, was Fountain City Nursing Home, like, located on Warm Springs Road right there, not too far uh, from the, kind of the hospitals uh, in uh, Columbus, Georgia. And I always remember uh, this particular um, lady, Miss Etta, visiting her because she had been a longtime church member at First Baptist Columbus, and so I really enjoyed visiting her. Every time I would visit with her, um, she would always laugh. So I'd go, hello, Miss Etta, and she'd go, <laughs> like that. And I'd say, uh, I'm John Hughes from First Baptist, and I came to visit you. And she'd go, <laughs> and I thought, well, she's a happy lady, you know. Um, um, I visited her for a couple of years, and I, uh, after visiting her a couple of years, one day as I was visiting her, Uh, her nurse was actually walking out of the room at the same time I was walking in. So really it was the first opportunity I'd ever had to kind of talk to her nurse. And I I said, how is uh, Miss Etta doing? And she said, oh, she's having a great day. And I said, well, how is she doing with her dementia? And uh, the nurse said, she doesn't have dementia. She doesn't have dementia. She said, no, um, Miss Etta's issue is just, you know, her mobility and, and her hearing. She doesn't hear very well. And I thought, oh, my goodness. I've been visiting this member of our church for two years. And I thought the reason she was going, <laughs> just kind of agreeing with me, because she had dementia. And the problem was she couldn't even hear me. So she was just being polite. <laughs> you know, just kind of. 
So I'll never forget. I, there was really nobody else in the room after the nurse left. So I just went over to Miss Etta. And if Mary was a little closer, I would do this. I just got right in her ear. I said, Miss Etta, this is Reverend John Hughes from First Baptist Church in Columbus, and I came to visit you. And she didn't laugh. She just looked up at me, and her first words were this. I don't have any money. Hmm. I wonder why she said that. You think she thought I was there to collect her tithes and offerings or something there at at the nursing home? That was her first response. And then after that, we had a a lovely conversation. I'm not here to get your money. I'm here to visit you for the Lord. And and we had a, a lovely conversation. But what's amazing to me is that for two years, I visited her. And I didn't even understand what her need was. I thought she just needed somebody to kind of be friendly and kind of just... What she needed was somebody to get, you know, to communicate with her in a way she could hear. Bless her heart. I want you to imagine something with me. I don't know if you're like in fifth grade this morning or 50 years old or how old you are, but I want you to imagine something with me. I want you to imagine that you're 79 years of age or older. Okay? You're 79 years of age or older. And you are now living at Golden Living out by Geo Bailey. Or you're now living at Southern Care out near Carpenter Road. That's your new home. That's where you've, you've been living for a couple of years now. I want you to imagine that that's where you're living. Everybody there? We're all there. We just had uh, lunch together with all of our 50 friends there in the lunchroom. And now we've used maybe our walker or maybe we've been able to ambulate on our own. We've walked back to our room and, and now we're in our, in our room. And uh, Bill Hughes comes in to visit us. They're in the, hospital, uh, in the room. Or Mark Myers or somebody comes to visit us. Now my question to you is this. Are you curious about what the budget is at First Baptist Church at that point? Are you wondering if we're above or beyond the budget? Or are you wondering the exact number of people that were in Sunday school last Sunday? Are you wondering about whether we've reached all our objectives and our goals or whatever? I don't think so. I would imagine at that point, you're just like, man, I just want to see somebody who loves me and I love. I just want to see a a face of somebody that means a lot to me and that I care about. You know, it's the same thing no matter what our age, when we're in a crisis. Something happens with our children. Something happens with our own health. When, When we're going through a difficulty, we're not really looking for somebody to come and say, hey, you know, last year we gave... X number of dollars to Lottie Moon, and we went on so many mission trips, and all this is important. But I'm just saying, in a crisis, what we're really looking for is somebody to come, to be there, to care, and to love. You know, every one of us would agree in the final analysis, what really means the most to us is the love of brothers and sisters in their presence. So why? Why is it so difficult to give our love 
and ourselves to one another. It's difficult for all of us. If it came naturally, I doubt Jesus would have having to get, had to give us a new commandment here as we see. Let's look at this. John 13. Look at John 13. Underline it in your Bible. Circle it. John 13, 34 and 35. Follow with me as I read. It says, a new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we, we're the church built on love. Heavenly Father, that's our logo or our motto. Or, Father, why do you give us this command? Lord, help us to see the barriers to love today and and by your grace and the power of your spirit overcome all barriers that we might love one another and that the world might see that reality. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. First barrier, I think, to love is just a lack of understanding, a lack of understanding. Sometimes I'm afraid it's more often than not that we lack an understanding of what the church really is. For many, and I'm sure for years, I thought of the church as it's a place where you go to meet and you go to worship God. And in reality, you're going to kind of get your spiritual gas tank refueled. You know, generally, we, we need refueling about every seven days. And so we, we pull in to the church for a, a quick Bible study time, a Sunday school lesson. We gather with brothers and sisters for, for a worship service. And we're encouraged, we're inspired, and then off we go. And then we come back seven days later. Some, that's their interpretation of what the church is. For some, the church is really, it's more than that. It's kind of the spiritual counterpart to like Kiwanis or Exchange Club. Men and women participate in civic clubs to contribute, to make an impact in the community, to be a, a, a positive force in the community. They also participate in civic clubs for the enjoyment of it, the social encouragement. And some see church as as kind of the place where to be with people, have a similar spiritual interest. They, we can gather for a few hours a week and, and just kind of have a sense of camaraderie. But according to this scripture, the church is a fellowship of men and women 
who have experienced the love of Jesus. You notice he says, love as I have loved you. We're gathered here this morning as a group of people who individually, personally, have experienced the love of Jesus. You know, I can remember it was the fall of my junior year in college. And I was just after a worship service was on the stage of the, of the platform and I was taking these kind of chords here from the speakers and I was wrapping them up and, and helping put them away. On that day, this cute blonde-haired girl came up and we started talking while I was putting these mic cords and stuff away. And I knew I wanted to talk to her some more, so I had to think of something quick, you know? So I said, you know, we've only been in school like a day, and um, I need to study, you know? And you want to meet me in the library? And she said, yes. And that was our first date. Can you guess who that might be? Exactly, my wife, Nancy. See, I remember how I met her. But I also remember how I met Jesus. See, I was living in Albany, Georgia. And I used to go roller skating. Boy, I was really good on roller skates. I wish you could have seen me in my prime. But anyway, I was roller skating. And I had this girlfriend that we'd go roller skating together. And when we weren't roller skating, we'd go over to her mom and dad's house and watch TV. And I'll just never forget her mom and daddy. It wasn't they were super spiritual Christians. They were in the same church I was, but I'll just never forget. They said, the way they talked to each other. His name was Ralph. Her name was DJ. And Ralph would say to DJ something like this. Well, in that need, how the Lord worked that out. And DJ would say to Ralph something like, you know, I guess we'll just have to ask the Lord about that and, and pray about that. And the way they were talking to each other, it was like Jesus was actually in that room with them, in that living room. And my parents, we all went to the same church, but we didn't talk like that at our house. And that got me curious. There, there must be something more to this relationship with Jesus than, than what I'm experiencing. See, that was, that was Jesus reaching out in love to me. That's how he got through to me. And each one in this room today, each one of us, we have a story of how Jesus touched your life. That's why we're here. That's what unites us together. It's one person, and it's him. He touched your life. He touched your life. And that's why you've come, to worship him, to honor him, the only reason we exist is because we've all personally experienced the love of Jesus Christ. So that's one of the barriers sometimes to, to love is we don't understand exactly who we are as a church, but that's who we are. We've all experienced his love and his forgiveness. Another barrier that we face is called inertia. Do we have any science teachers here this morning? No? No science teachers. Okay. I didn't look up here. All right. Does anybody know what inertia is? 
Okay. If I push on this pulpit, what is inertia? Huh? It's good. It's going to be a long sermon. Okay. Yeah, I've got to answer more quickly. I've only written, I've got these things timed, and if you, if you keep going on. Inertia is what? It's the force necessary to get this thing in motion, right? Inertia is the resistance to the force to get it in motion. At least, again, I went to college years ago. That may not be what they teach now. It may, it may be more defined or more you know, elaborate or more specific. But inertia is that force that must be overcome to move any object. And in all honesty, when I look at this command of Jesus and I read it and he says, I'm to love one another as he loved me, my honest reaction is, what's the use in trying? I can't do that. I can't love others the way Jesus loved me. And maybe today as you look at our fellowship, you think, well, you know, I can't do it like Jesus, but we're doing pretty good. I mean, nobody's viciously trying to hurt somebody else. No one is, you know, there's no fighting going on in the fellowship. And so maybe our tendency is to to not worry until there's like a crisis or something. You know, after all, I've been here seven and a half years. You may have been here, you know, two or three or five or six or 20 or whatever. You pretty much know everybody, and you're kind of lapsed into the attitude that the, the man whose wife was disgruntled with him because he never told her that he loved her. And when the wife complained, he said, I told you the day I married you, I loved you, and if I change my mind, I'll let you know. We are just too content. We're too content with the way things are and our love for one another. So inertia can be a barrier to love. The third thing, another barrier, is distractions that we all face. You know, when I was young, I really looked forward to retirement when I was young. But then I moved to Tifton, Georgia, and I've met all these men at First Baptist Church who retired, and they are working themselves to death. I mean, I can just start picking you out right here in the service. I know who you are. I mean, these guys are going all the time. And I, every now and then I have an honest conversation with my neighbor, Bill Johnson. He lives the fence behind me. And I said, Bill, why retire? All you guys are working hard. I might as well stay working and make money. He says, oh, no, it's, it's better. It's better. Because you get to kind of choose. Uh, he's not convinced me completely yet. He's, he's trying to. But I tell you what, I don't know anybody in our church that's not busy. I'm trying to look out there today if I see anybody who's, who I think is not busy. We're all busy. We all have responsibilities. Whether, I mean, our, our families, the needs of our families, which we, we should take in, you know, we should own up to those responsibilities and help our parents and our children and our aunts and uncles. And Many of you have jobs that consume tons of time. And so for many of us, it's difficult to express love to those in the fellowship because we have so much on our plate. So many distractions or struggles pull us towards isolation. 
I believe with all my heart, and this is very hard because I've experienced this personally. It's very hard, but I believe God places challenges in our life, difficulties and struggles to cause that feeling of dependence on the Lord, but also to be interdependent on brothers and sisters. That's very hard for us because most of us, when we go through a difficult time, and I myself included, what we want to do is we kind of want to get over here and get it back together, then come back to the fellowship. Okay? Because, you know, we don't want to put people out or or we don't want to be in imposition or draw upon. But I'm convinced that God puts those needs in our lives. So we will develop dependence upon Him and upon one another. The final thing I see in this is a barrier is just fear. We're afraid. If, if, we, if we admit that we're struggling in an area, people might think we don't have it all together. Matter of fact, you know, people might think we're... Really, I think we're afraid that people might, uh, what I call the spiritual dump truck on us. What I mean by that is we might take the initiative to share kind of like a need, a, a burden, a difficulty we're going through with somebody. But we're afraid to do that because if we do, they may say something like this. Well, I'll pray for you, but just remember Philippians 4, 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Or we're afraid they might say, like in 1 Thessalonians, in everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. See, I used to think that when anyone had a question or anyone had a problem and something popped into my mind, like a scripture verse like that, that that I was being led by the Holy Spirit to share that. But the end result of doing something like that is where you take this like dump truck, literally. You know what, how big a dump truck is? Of sand, and you're dumping it on a little sandbox, like a child's sandbox. It's kind of like what? Overkill, isn't it? You don't need that much sand. Okay? So many times we're afraid to share when we're in need because we're afraid of a spiritual dump truck or we're afraid that somebody might even gossip about what we would say, share. And why is that? Because the bottom line thing we fear is that if people really knew us, that they wouldn't love us. This morning, we're in a safe place. Each one of us this morning has a story to tell about the love of Jesus. But we also have a story to tell about our sin. Okay? We do have that story too. And some of those sins, we won't tell anybody else. That's a good thing. But we've all gathered here because of the love of Jesus, His forgiveness And we've been received into his family. And so that's why he wants us to love one another by sharing. Now, one of my pet questions, um, the staff accuses me of always coming up with a question. But anyway, that's just the way I am. But one of my pet questions is this. 
if I was to have lunch with you or, or something like that, I'd probably get around to this question. Who is your closest friend at First Baptist Church? Imagine if I asked you that question. I've received some interesting answers over the years, but probably the most interesting answer, and maybe not surprising to you or to me now, would be if I asked that question and they said, well, no one really. My closest friend is a, a friend that I grew up with or a friend that da-da-da-da. To me, this highlights in, in bright yellow marker that our, our need to overcome these barriers of loving one another. Now, certainly it's unrealistic, and I would even say it's ridiculous to imagine that loving one another is going to make all of us best friends. But are we stretching it to believe that in a fellowship that's been entrusted with the stewardship of God's love, that we would at least have one close friend? Think about that. Jesus desires that there be a commitment to one another, a commitment of our lives to one another, a deep caring, a compassion, and a sharing of life together. But I tell you what, that's hard. That is hard. It is much easier for me to sit down at the kitchen table to take my checkbook and to think about my tithes and my offerings that I need to give to God. I'm not saying it's easy. I said it's easier. It's much easier to sit there and to write out that for the Lord and to give it to Him than to think, Lord, how could I encourage? How could I minister to, say, Perry Taylor? How could I care and, and, and minister to Lester Paul, whatever, just names out here. How would I do that? It's much easier to do that. That's why I believe Jesus commanded us. He wrote this and he reminded us that we must love one another. Listen to this. Listen. C.S. Lewis wrote, love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully, round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it safe in the casket or coffin of your own selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. Jesus commands us to give ourselves to one another in love. Ask yourself this morning, are you willing to be obedient to Christ's command? Are you willing to be vulnerable? The most precious resource that we have for making it over the long haul in the Christian life is God's Word. 
His Holy Spirit and brothers and sisters in Christ who love us, who encourage us, who minister to us. See, for years, for years I visited Ms. Etta. I never knew. I never knew I could have a personal relationship with her. I didn't think it was possible. You know, for years I worked shoulder to shoulder. When I was in college, I worked shoulder to shoulder with 30, 40 students. Half guys, half girls, whatever. We worked shoulder to shoulder day after day trying to have an impact at Georgia Southern for Christ. I mean, we, would, we all led Bible studies in our dorm. We would go out witnessing. We would have events at the campus trying to draw people. I mean, we did stuff all the time. Matter of fact, when people ask me, what did you major in in college? I tell them, campus crusade and student government. And they go, yeah, but what did you study? I go, I don't remember. But that's what I tell them. But we were just so active, working, working, working. One day we were on a retreat. And at the, that evening as the retreat was winding down, the students went and we were cleaning up. I think we were cleaning up where we had eaten. And one of the young ladies who led a Bible study, her name was Julie Davis. She had been working, working just like I had for two or three years. And I'll never forget, we just paused for a moment and I was like, now, where are you from? Oh, Atlanta. And what high school did you go to? Such and such. And, and what do your parents do? Da, da, da. It was the first time in three years I actually got to know the person a little bit who I'd been so, been working beside the whole time. And what God did, he pierced my heart in the sense of saying, are you going to live your whole life like that? Are you going to be serving me along some of, the, some of the greatest people in the world, but yet you're not even going to know them? And the Lord just hit me, John, that is such a small way to live. One day, during a staff meeting, not at First Baptist, but at Willow Creek Community Church, I don't know. When I say that name, how many of you know about that church? Okay, I better tell you about it. <laughs> All right, Willow Creek Community Church is one of the largest churches in North America. Willow Creek, years ago, was one of the churches that started these seeker services trying to reach the unlost. So Willow Creek is just one of these churches that has hosted thousands and thousands of pastors and children's ministers and youth leaders to come there for training. They are just, for years, one of the cutting-edge churches, and, and they may still be. I don't, I'm not really sure, but I just want to tell you, you're not going to believe this. One day they were having a staff meeting, and for them, we gather, it's about 10. Them, they had about 40. So about 40 of them were gathered there with the pastor for a staff meeting, and the ministers began to share around the table this question based on this scripture. And they asked the question, why? Why? We're the leaders of this church. Why do we never say to each other that we love each other? We're all in this work together. We're all here serving the Lord together. 
Why don't we ever say to each other, I love you? And the senior pastor, whose name is Bill Hybel, said, I knew in a flash why I didn't say it. He said, I knew why I didn't say it. He said, three years from now, this staff member, I may have to look him in the eye and say, you're fired. I may have to dismiss them from their position. And I don't want to have three years prior to that said, I love you. He said, I think it'd be wiser just to think about those feelings and and have that concern, but don't say it. What about us? Why do we hold back? Do you think this morning that if, if you sincerely said, I love you to a brother in Christ, a sister in Christ, that'd be setting you up? That a year from now or two years from now when a, a brother was in need, he really needed you to come through for him and help him in a practical way? You, are you afraid to say it because you're afraid you might fail them? That you might not come through? Are you afraid this morning to tell someone and to demonstrate that you love them because you're afraid that next time we have a church business meeting and, and we're talking about something very serious and we need to discuss it, that, that uh, John Woodruff and I may be on the opposite ends of this discussion and, and so I'm afraid to tell him I love him because, well, you know, we may have this heated debate and, and, and he may feel like, well, he didn't act very loving that night when we were discussing an issue. Why would we be afraid? Well, I want to give you an incentive to overcome your fear. Think with me for just a moment of what this command means if we live it out. Think for just a moment, not about your responsibility. For just a moment, think about everybody else's. Let's, use, use, let's just use the number 800. If we had 800 people in our church and, and 400, half of them are men. And think. You're trying to be obedient to the Lord and live this out. And 399 other men are trying to live this out towards you. Can you imagine if you had 399 brothers in your corner? If you had men you could count on who are praying for you, encouraging you? Would you be scared of anything in this town? Probably not. Think about it, ladies. If you knew you had 399 women who loved you, prayed for you, encouraged you, cared about you, would you be afraid of anything? See, this morning, this this command cuts both ways. Yes, we're to love, but we also have to be willing to receive love from one another and celebrate it and appreciate it. My question this morning as we close is this, do we truly understand the needs of one another? I certainly didn't when it came to Miss Etta. I didn't have a clue of what her need really was. And I operated under that wrong assumption for several years. Well, Jesus wants us to understand each other. And Jesus is making clear. He says, listen, the need of every brother in this church and every sister in this church is this. 
They need to be loved as I have loved you. Jesus knew that. That's why he gave us the command. And he said it also authenticates the gospel message of Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, and his wonderful return that we anticipate. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, time is fleeting this morning, but you have a message for us. You have a reminder for us. You're saying John Hughes. You're saying John Woodruff. You're saying all of us this morning. You're telling us, I have a reminder. Love one another as I've loved you. That's your witness. People will see that. They'll know I'm alive. They'll want to get in on that grace and mercy. Father, continue to teach us. May this not just be a a sermon and a brief conversation with you, but may you speak to us now and minutes, hours, days later. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As we close this time of worship, we have an invitation. Perhaps this week, one of our members showed love to you and explained to you how you could know Jesus personally. And in your own home or at your own business, you prayed and invited Jesus into your heart. We're excited for you. The most important decision you could ever make. According to God's word, your sins are forgiven. You're going to go to heaven, and we rejoice with you.